Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Episode 7 of Keys to the City, a podcast about the problems facing New York City and the enduring power of ideas. I'm Anthony Weiner. From existential threats to pet peeves, each week together, we'll resist the temptation to curse the darkness. Instead, we'll try to light a candle by bringing to light things that have worked before or new ways to get things done. And this week on Keys to the City, we once again return to the idea that if real estate is valuable because they're not making any more of it, well, the use of our curbs, the use of our streets, and the use of our sidewalks walks are equally controversial and equally limited because they are what they are. We're not adding any more, and there's lots of competition for them. We've got bikes that want to go by. We've got delivery trucks that want to pull up. As we heard in Episode 3, we have fire hydrants and fire trucks that want to make use of it. And the middle of it all is perhaps the single bane of many drivers' existence if they own cars in New York City. And most people don't, I should be clear. But for those that do, they all know the letters ASP, alternate side parking. And today, I want to have a conversation about idea number 111 in my book of new ideas called Keys to the City. These books, as I explained before, these are things that I've come up with in my years working as a staffer on Capitol Hill working as a city councilman here in New York City, working as a member of the United States House of Representatives, and ultimately as a candidate for mayor in 2005 and 2013 that led me to put all these ideas together, number them, put some things on paper about them. Well, idea number 111 is to reduce the amount of alternate side parking regulations by 25%. Don't eliminate them and go back to where we were in 1950 when you can park really anywhere on the streets or there are even some times when you weren't allowed to park on the streets at all. But reduce the amount. And the reason is a fewfold. First, putting aside for a moment the sheer inconvenience that drivers face, and putting aside for a moment that there's revenue to be made when people don't move, they get a $65 ticket. The environmental cost of getting up every morning, taking your car and moving it from one side of the block to the other, sitting there idling while you're double parked, waiting for the street sweeper to go by, all throughout the year winds up leading to about 130,000 tons of carbon emissions, just idling cars in New York City. It was so bad that the city launched a campaign against idling where they got Billy Idle to come out and try to argue that people should be idling less. Well, we are requiring people to essentially do that with this regulation. But there's another reason why I think it's important that we 
reduce the amount of alternate side. It's not because I don't believe it's a good idea for us to have clean streets. It's because I think today's world, our challenge is it is the sidewalks that are messiest. It is the corner baskets that are overflowing. It is the amount of empty storefronts that are gathering up garbage. And I would prefer to see that the sanitation workers who might otherwise be on a mechanical broom be out of that truck and be pushing a broom or helping to clean up the sidewalks or giving summonses to people who are putting residential garbage in the commercial bins, in the bins on the corner. So the proposal is simple. It's just to say that if you have a four-day-a-week alternate side situation, and recently the city of New York reinstituted it's described as a two-day, but if you think about it, if you have two-day restrictions on one side for 90 minutes, two days restrictions on the other side for 90 minutes, essentially, four days of the week, cars are pulling out of their spots and idling on the other side. And there are other ways that we can be using these resources. The streets are noticeably cleaner when the mechanical broom comes by. But I don't think anyone would say that if we did it 25% fewer times and instead went out and pushed the broom on the sidewalks, that it would be uh, have a dramatic reduction in the quality of the streets. We are going to be hearing from someone towards the end of the episode who's going to push back on this, someone who represents bike riders, pedestrians, people who don't own cars. But you don't have to be a supporter of this idea of Idea 11 just because you don't own a car. This is more than just a function of inconvenience. This is also a function of how we use the scarce resources, both of our curbside, but also of the dollars that we have to put towards sanitation. You know, there are about 20% of all of the spots on the Upper East Side and Upper West Side are no parking at any time. We now have more and more spots being taken up by these restaurant sheds that went up during COVID and are being regulated now, and they're actually going to start charging for them. But they also wind up collecting a lot of garbage. And there are a lot of sanitation regulations that impact those restaurant sheds that are not being enforced because the Department of Sanitation doesn't have the resources to enforce them all. So what I am saying is that while just about everything in city budgeting and city governance is a choice, it is particularly true of the Department of Sanitation. So my idea would be to say, look, if you have a four-day a week, make it a three-day a week, or if the city can go out and abilities with the uh, community boards, come up with a way where all of them have to submit a list for a 25% reduction in the amount of alternate side, and also they submit a list to where they want those resources directed. And I also want to make it very clear that in terms of what people are reporting back, the calls coming into 311 are always very heavy on the part of sanitation. I think noise complaints are number one. Sanitation complaints are number two. But those sanitation complaints are most often, as I said, about the sidewalks or about something going on where pedestrians, bike riders are going, not necessarily where the cars are. And to make this point, every month a community board, the community boards, which are the local kind of advisory um, uh, forms of government that go on in every neighborhood, they're asked to fill out a form about whether their streets are acceptably clean. And the numbers are still very good. For example, Manhattan, 91.2%. This is the residents report acceptable streets. Staten Island, 93.9. The lowest is Brooklyn, 78.1. And these are these are down. There's no doubt about it. The streets are being viewed as less clean than they used to be. But overwhelmingly, the reports that are coming up to 311 talk about 
the the condition of the sidewalks. And let me return to the to, to what I to our the argument that I began with, which is how fuel inefficient this is. Look, I understand having a car emits carbon emissions, but we with with policies frequently serve to make things worse. And if we are forcing people to get into their car at regular intervals and pull it from one side of the street to another or to sit and wait while the the truck goes by, that increases the instances of asthma, increases the amount of smog-forming nitrogen oxides in the volatile organic compounds in the air, the whole kit and caboodle, and about 130,000 tons of greenhouse gases are going out into the earth, into the environment, because of idling cars. Not all of that obviously has to do with people moving their car, but that is certainly contributing to it. So that's the idea, idea number 111 here on on episode seven of Keys to the City. And when we come back, we're going to hear from someone who maybe doesn't have a huge beef with this idea, but thinks my overall focus on cars, now we've done two episodes on parking here in, uh, in the early days of Keys to the City. He thinks that approach is all wet. So stick with us after the break, an interesting pushback on idea number one. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So welcome back to Keys to the City. Here we're talking about idea number 111, reducing alternate side parking. And what we like to do is so we don't have one hand clapping. And so there's someone to keep me honest. We like to have an expert in the subject that we're talking about. And there is someone we have today on, Gersh Kunstman, who is the Head, he's the editor-in-chief of Streets Blog, New York City. He'll tell you a little bit about what that is. I got to know him, and many of our listeners will know him from his years at The Post and at The Daily News and at the, the Brooklyn paper, I believe it was. He is a fixture in journalism and a very interesting person. Gersh, thank you very much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're the editor-in-chief of Streets Blog, New York City. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, basically, we advocate or we cover the advocacy around transit, mostly, obviously, that's the biggest part of our coverage, but also pedestrian issues and cycling. And as you're going to talk about, I know you've talked about before, it's not just, oh, bicyclists want more bike lanes. It's also pedestrians want more room without garbage on the sidewalks. And they also want room on their streets that isn't set aside solely for the use of cars or for the storage of cars. But also the main issue is transit. I mean, so many the vast majority of New Yorkers get around every day on buses or trains. So they're really at the center of our coverage. And before we dive too deeply into the issue, Streets Blog New York City, it's a nonprofit. Is it just a New York City entity? Are there street blogs around the country? How, how did it come to be? Well, so about 20 years ago, a guy named Mark Gorton, who happens to be independent, made his money independent of the street safety movement, obviously. He's in a stock trader, hedge fund guy really just became devoted to the idea of making our city, sort of reclaiming our city from the automobile. Not banning cars or getting rid of all cars, because obviously the car is a very useful tool in certain circumstances, but the, the notion is the entire roadway space can't just be consumed for the movement and storage of automobiles. It just makes our streets and our life less livable. So that became his obsession. In about 2006, I believe, he started Streets Blog NYC, and he also funded a bunch of other Streets Blogs. We have a USA site. We have 
sites in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, other cities. Now they're sort of quasi independent of us, but we all have the same spirit, which is, you know, what works best for our city. In some cities like Los Angeles, for example, the Streets Blog LA doesn't necessarily cover bike lanes per se, because that's very difficult to achieve in Los Angeles, but it does talk about how can we make transit work better so that it's not just lower income people using the bus because they're stuck using the bus. So it makes, you know, boosting transit all over the place. So this, you know, we, we try to do it city by city, but the New York City site that I really run most closely is really about the urban streetscape and how cars are just really anathema to good urban life. Let's do a little bit of the numbers here. So overwhelmingly, people don't own cars in the city, do they? Correct. I mean, about more than 50, about 55% of households in New York City do not have access to a car. Now in Manhattan, that figure is much higher. In obviously parts of Eastern Queens and Southern Brooklyn, the majority of households do have a car. So certain circumstances change depending on what neighborhood we're talking about. When we write about things in Midtown Manhattan, for example, Almost nobody has a car, yet still 75% of the streetscape is set aside for the storage or movement of vehicles, of cars per, per se, but also a lot of delivery vehicles. You know, we write about the importance of transit. It's not just bus riders, it's also those delivery vehicles that, you know, we've ch changed our lifestyle. New Yorkers have changed their lifestyle to really embrace online shopping, for example. Well, okay, so we're not opposed to deliveries being made. Everybody thinks, oh, you want to put in a bike lane, you're opposed to delivery workers. No, we support the idea that people can order stuff. It actually reduces cars because they're not driving the little supermarkets all over the place. But at the same time, we need to make the streetscape, we need to change the streetscape for the changing reality of our lifestyles, which is there are millions of packages delivered in New York City every day that weren't happening 20 years ago at all. And as a result, there's double parking and triple parking, and that makes the road less safe for everybody. And the challenge of this subject, and we can talk now a little bit about what we're talking about, which is reducing the number of times that people have to get in their car and move them. And I've made the argument it's a, an environmental issue. I've made an argument. Obviously, it's a convenience thing. But most importantly, for the subject matter that we're talking about, this is, you know, they say real estate is valuable because they're not making any more of it. That's particularly true of the city streets, right? So what we're really talking about here is competing demands on the curbside, demeaning demands on the sidewalk and the like. So this is an interesting one because it affects whether motorists have to move around, but it also has an environmental component. It's not really, it doesn't seem like it inconveniences bicyclists all that much. So do you guys even care whether how alternate side is designed? Well, yeah. And, and it would be important to have this discussion in a proper historical context. You know, for example, in the 1950s, it was illegal to park your car overnight on the street. And as a result, car ownership in New York was, was extremely low. And then once it became clear that people wanted cars, the law was changed so that people could, and in fact, were encouraged to store their vehicle in the public right of way every night. Now, that created the problems that led to the need for alternate side of the street parking. The streets got dirty. So we do need to solve that problem. Now, our site covers the advocacy that would say, well, we should have less free parking to begin with because car ownership, maybe it's sort of the genie that came out of the bottle once we allowed people to park on the street overnight. We may not be able to put that genie back in the bottle. People are gonna own their cars because for the most part, parking is free uh, on the street. And that's the giveaway of the, uh, that enabled this whole thing to happen. Now the question becomes, do cyclists care about alternate side of the street parking? In the sense, in one sense, you're right. Like, we know that you're gonna move the car from one side of the street to the other. It doesn't bother us very much. However, it's 
you pointed out the pollution. It's funny to hear when car drivers are like, I don't want to have to move my car so much because of the pollution. Well, what do you think you're doing with that car all the other times you're driving mm-hmm. it? You're polluting the environment. You've been doing it for 100 years. So basically shut up is what uh, cyclists say. And, and there's some truth to that. Like, you guys only seem to be interested in alternate side of the street parking because A, it inconveniences you more and B, oh, and you can make an environmental argument about it. You know, your car is not a winning, that's a bad, that's a self-own is what we call it in the business. But you're right in that having all these cars moving extra times during the day is sort of silly too, because it does create more pollution, unnecessary driving, et cetera. So you, we do have to come up with a solution. I do think the city has been extremely generous, as you know, over the years, first with the free parking, but also having to move your car in some neighborhoods, I think it's twice a week, which you point out is sort of four times a week, depending on where you park. In some neighborhoods, it's once a week. And I believe there are indeed some areas where you don't even have to move it at all. It's true. And that's a problem because you want the streets to be clean. And if we're going to live in a society, you were in the government, you know, and as a member of the legislature or the Congress, you know that you have to balance needs, but ultimately we need to choose what works and what is most important for the majority of New Yorkers. And the majority of New Yorkers don't have cars. The majority of New Yorkers get around on subway or bus. And those are the modes we have to prioritize. With bus riders, they're stuck behind your cars all the time. And you know, if you're on a bus and there's a hundred people on that bus and it's stuck behind a car with one person in it, that's really a, a policy failure. You know, it, it, and I'm not saying, you have to get rid of your car. Definitely not saying that, but it's a policy failure that the hundred people are stuck behind you. But is the quiet part that you're not quite saying out loud is that basically you advocate having some inconvenience for drivers is part of a bigger, are you essentially saying, you know what? Yeah, you should be into the price of, if we increase the price both logistically and monetarily of owning a car, maybe fewer people have them. And that ultimately benefits your constituents who are on trains and on bikes and on walking. Is that essentially it? I'll say say it out loud. I mean, and it's not just my constituency, it benefits everybody, including drivers. In other words, if there are fewer drivers, everybody does better. Bus riders do better. pedestrians, cyclists, and other drivers do better. Uh, So that's why congestion pricing, for example, will be such, even though it's a toll on drivers, it'll be such a boon for drivers because suddenly if if there was, you know, 70% less traffic on the roads and you knew exactly how long it would take for you to get on a, in a car, You'd be more, you'd be. You'd yeah, be- but I want to tell you, I mean, for, first of all, I mean, what we're talking about here, this particular narrow subject, this tree that we're looking at in this forest, I don't think that there's any chance that dramatically people are going to abandon their cars as a result of this policy. I don't think sure. it gets you that much closer. And I have always been of the opinion that what reduces congestion is congestion, is that when people run into traffic, they get out of their cars. And I know this. And, and by the way, this is something I don't think that drivers quite understand, that if you add another lane on the LIE, it's not like you're going to get where you're going that much faster. You're just inviting by policy more people to drive. But if yeah, we that, that, speak- that, that, the latter, the latter thing you said is absolutely true. It's called induced demand. But the, the but the former thing you said wasn't necessarily true. In other words, studies show that even drivers who get in traffic jams all the time still prefer to take the car than be on the bus. There's just a large cohort of people who are going to drive regardless of policy changes until it really affects them in the wallet you know, or in the convenience. Right. right. But I mean, this is so I guess that the takeaway is as far as the movement of cars back and forth from either side. And, and by the way, I think this does impact 
bike lanes because on places that don't have have now lost one side, um, East 13th Street by my home, that have lost one side, people are moving into basically encroaching into the bike lane. Yeah, that's and I And I have to say, as a bicyclist myself, I pulled the numbers since, Gersh, I, I want to credential myself with your organization. I have done 1,674 rides, 1,876 miles, 208 in 56 hours. And Gersh, you'll be impressed with this. I am in the top 1% of city explorers having gone to 224 city bike stations. So I am a proud bicyclist who owns an automobile. So well, I'm doing a little bit of both, but you'll get um, there someday. We're, you know, as Chase Blog Radio, you got to be in like the 0.001%. I can imagine. I can imagine. Even though I read in your bio that you face planted on the slippery side of the Manhattan Bridge, I for a while was running a countertop company at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And so I would bike from Lower Manhattan. And as you know, that's a hit that, you know, people think the bridge goes straight across. No, it's got to go up and then go down. And it is really remarkable. You know what we got to work on on a future edition of this, because I wonder where you guys come down. The proliferation of motorized scooters that are basically motorcycles that are operating as if they're bikes. It's really blurred the lines because they I'm sure they're better than cars. But man, oh, man, it has become a competition in those bike lanes. And on that bridge. All the time, we would I would have motorcycles basically with us. Do you have any any random thoughts about that? Well, actually, we should talk about that just briefly because a lot of the drivers, car drivers, are always freaked out about the mopeds, and it's an issue for the movement for livable streets because, as you pointed out, a moped isn't by definition unsafe. It's unsafe if it's being operated unsafely. Same is true of a car, but a car has much more destructive power. So our movement for livable streets is in a crossroads because mopeds. First of all, if you don't have a license plate on it, you are operating it illegally, right. and that's a problem. But they shouldn't, they're not allowed to be in bike lanes for the reason is they go three times the speed of a bike. But at the same time, if, and this happens all the time, a pedestrian will be, be, will be struck by a car. And the injury that that pedestrian suffers is so much more severe right. than if that person was hit by a moped. So ideally, look, if it's 2100 and we're thinking about what our city should look like, all cars should be replaced by low violence motorized vehicles. I mean, look at a golf cart. A golf cart is ostensibly a car, but it only goes about 20 miles an hour and you can fit a family of four. So why aren't we all driving golf carts? It would be safer for pedestrians, it'd be better for the environment. So we have to transition to different types of vehicles. As I said, we're not getting rid of the car, but there are different forms of a car. There are small electric cars, there's smart cars, et cetera. We need to have the streets be safe for all of these modes instead of cramming all the non-cars into a tiny lane. That's yeah. just not really what the future holds for New York. Well, let me try to, to summarize, and I do appreciate you taking the time with us, that you're relatively agnostic on how alternate side is structured. You generally don't mind inconvenience for motorists. And if yeah. that's part of the rationale, you're like, fine, you should be inconvenienced a little bit. You buy the environmental argument, but think it's basically a false flag operation by motorists yes. because if they really were concerned about that. Let me ask you about something finally as we wrap up here, because I've been thinking about this a lot also. There is this new use of the curbs and a lot of bike lanes, to be honest, as kind of like depot spots for the final mile distribution of Amazon products and everyone else. Now, that's a weird one because in a way you can kind of argue, and a lot of them are using bicycles, I've noticed, for these final points. Yeah. 
have you given any thought or has your organization given any thought to how we either apportion curb space for that purpose or have them go somewhere else? I know some people have talked about having ferries take stuff to the edge of our island and then biking from there. Have you guys given that any thought? Well, yeah. And the Movement for Livable Streets talks about this all the time. Like Open Plans, which is our parent company, has something called a public space management you know, agenda, which is create an office of public space management. First, we need to see the curbside space as something that needs to be managed for the, a lot of the reasons you just said, but also for the additional ones like the restaurant sheds, you know, they need their public space. Right. And at next year, the restaurant's going to start paying for that space. So that's great. Parking, metered parking, and also pick up and drop off. You know, again, if you're a senior citizen who needs to be picked up in a car, a taxi, accessoride, you need access to the curb. That curbside space is extremely valuable, not only because of deliveries, not only because of old people, but because we have multiple uses for it. Some neighborhoods want bike lanes, some want parklets, some indeed want parking, et cetera. So it needs to be managed. Right now, it's really not managed. It's chaos at the curb. Right. It's a free-for-all because the parking in most places is simply free. Now, the city has done a great job. I should say, shouldn't say great job. They've done an attempt at a great job of creating more loading zones, marked zones, there'd be two parking spaces in residential areas because there's so many more residential deliveries to create a, a parking space. The problem is if people illegally park in there, then it's not available and someone will double park. And in most cases, we do it in downtown Manhattan, there's placard abuse all over the place. People who have official placards parking illegally in loading zones. And then suddenly the truck that was gonna use that loading zone is now double parked on the side street. It, it doesn't help anybody. And it's a big job. I'm not saying that you know Mayor Adams is doing a terrible job on this. It's really hard to manage the curb. And that's why we think there should be an office of public space management, which would create plazas where needed, would create more parking where needed, would create incentives to reduce congestion and chaos. Yeah, it does require a lot of 30,000 foot thinking because mm -hmm. you might you know, we recently had a dramatic expansion, our city bike docks here in the neighborhood in the East Village where I live. And that's good. We've had a shortage of docks at certain times of the evening. It would just get clogged yeah. up. But what they did is they took away a bunch of metered spots. And on the other side of the street is a big target, which used yeah. to have the big trucks in a relatively modest area. And then it responded to that problem rather than kind of taking a big step back and saying, hey, let's try to figure this out. Listen, before we um, be before we we break and I, again, I want to express my gratitude. I am most famous in the bike riding community for what? This is a trivia question for you. Oh, I know the answer to that when you said you wanted to tear out the Bloomberg era bike lanes when you were running for mayor. That is actually not what I said. And so I want to clear the record up. Please. It was the story was in the New York Times. I think it was a profile of me running for mayor or something. And I sat down at a reception at Gracie Mansion and I was having a conversation with Mike Bloomberg. And I said, you know what I'm going to do when I get into mayor? I'm going to have ribbon cuttings when I tear out all the bike lanes that you put in. The point that I was so basically I can't say what you said was not correct. I guess it was kind of correct. But was correct. the point that I was making is that he went through this period where he was putting him in all over the place and was causing a lot of controversy, expanding bike lanes, I should say. And I've never actually responded to this because I always thought it was more funny. The expanding bike lanes was great. The way he was doing it without kind of ex explaining what was going on, where they were going and what they were doing, apropos of the conversation that we just had. You know, there still is this challenge when you're dealing with something that's a scarce resource and you're taking from one and giving to another a zero sum game, which the streets are. 
it is incumbent on government to have a mature conversation with its constituents and to say, listen, here's what the trade-off is going to be. If you want to subscribe to all of these services, we need to take two spots on every block for, for delivery bikes to be able to pull up and make their delivery. If you want to have 20, less asthma in our city, which is a huge problem, you're going to have to say here are bike lanes we're going to have. In, in. But you can't, under the circumstances, and it's changed a lot, simply say we're going to get up one morning and you're going to close off Broadway where there's a lot of restaurants and say, we're now going to have truck deliveries be in the one lane of traffic that we have. But I thought it was very funny how much traction that that story got. But as I, I think I've credentialed myself as a bike operator, but if you ever want me to come on for an interview on Street Blog NYC and do it in your venue, go right into the lion's den. I'll be more than happy to do it. The lion's den. No, no. I, look, you, you've proven yourself as a cyclist. I would point out that there are times when the DOT does a very good job of informing communities, more recently, obviously, under the last two mayors. But I will tell you, there's one going on right now in Queens that I feel like the DOT has failed to explain to the neighbors what's going on there. Expanding the uh, 34th Avenue open street to include a weird, actually a, a, sort of an unprecedented design on one of the side streets. And, and the neighbors are, are really freaked out. Now, they're freaked out because suddenly they lost about 15, 20 parking spaces. But I do think the DOT could have explained it a little better. Not, I'm not saying they would, have, they would have convinced everybody, but I think at least people would have felt, people always yell at the DOT, you're not listening to us. I think sometimes the DOT does listen to them, but they just disagree for transportation right. reasons. And, and that's okay, you know? Yeah, I've always said democracy guarantees you get your say, not necessarily get your way. Yeah. And one of the things that we have in municipal government that is unfamiliar in Washington is you have an executive branch that gets to make decisions. We don't have to like them and we can vote them out. And they're often frequently unpopular for that because sometimes there's zero sum decisions. Um, but that is certainly the case. Thank you very much, Chris. Where can our listeners find you, find Streets Blogs? What are your websites? What are your Twitter handles? What do you got? Well, the best way to find us is just nyc.streetsblog.org. And we're on Twitter at, at streetsblognyc. And you're a nonprofit, so you take donations from people who want to, who uh, believe in your work. That would be nice. Yeah, anytime you want to donate, donate as much as you can. But we're funded well, and, and, and we're not going anywhere. We're doing a good job. Terrific. Well, thank you very much, Gertz. And when we come back, some final thoughts on today's Keys to the City. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. I think I got a little bit of my uh, comeuppance. I'm sorry that I had to credential myself as a bike rider as vigorously as I did there. I know that sounded a little bit defensive, but it was an excellent conversation with Gersh. We should have him back to talk about other issues because he's right about one important thing, that while some people do drive, many, many more people walk, take buses, take trains, and take bikes to get around town. And I think we should, in future episodes, focus more on those. So it's been great having you here on Keysless City. I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on the Red Apple Podcast Network or wherever you get podcasts. We had a little problem with the Apple service. That has all been cleared up now. Also, I would encourage you to tune in Saturday from 2 to 3 when my show, The Middle, is on WABC Talk Radio. And it's also available in the form of a podcast, the same place called The Middle with Anthony Weiner. And then from 3 to 4 on Saturdays, me and Curtis Lee would do Left versus 
voices, right? We encourage you to stream those, download the 77WABC app or wabcradio.com. It's been great having you along. If you'd like to contribute an idea of your own for this podcast, just something that is you've been thinking about, a bee in your bonnet, a big idea, that, or just some, sometimes you find yourself mumbling there ought to be a law, the email address for us is keys to the city at wabcradio.com. Thank you very much for joining me on Keys to the City. I'll see you next time. 